I'd like to welcome our sponsor, Formassembly. You can find out how Formassembly helps streamline remote work processes in the free ebook that we've linked in today's show notes. Formassembly's all-in-one web form platform lets you create forms for just about any use case, from contact forms to donation forms. All while taking advantage of useful features such as notifications, e-signatures, and more. Not only that, but you can also connect data to systems you already use. Formassembly integrates with Salesforce, Pardot, PayPal, and many other common solutions. Whatever your data collection needs are, you can be sure that Formassembly keeps your data secure with encryption at rest and in transit on all plants. Plus compliance with GDPR, CCPA, and more regulations. At the end of the day, Formassembly helps you save time, money, and effort while getting the maximum benefit out of the data you collect. And I remind you, when you support our sponsors, you support the show. Hey everybody! This is Xixiao. This is yet a new episode of Salesforce Web Podcast. Today I'm sitting with a wonderful guest with me. His name's Matt Kaufman. Hello, Matt. Hi, Xi. How's it going? <laughs> Pretty good. So, Matt, would you introduce yourself? Sure.、Uh, my name is Matt Kaufman. I'm the Chief Innovation Officer at MK Partners.、Uh, we're a Salesforce partner in Southern California. I'm a four-time Ranger. I've earned 23 certifications and seven super badges. Um, I've, I've authored two books about Salesforce and three plural site videos. Years ago, I was an authorized trainer of Salesforce's Dev 501 course.、Um, I've also helped create、uh, some of the exams and the programming assignments for Salesforce certifications. And more recently, I've, I've helped make some of the super badges too. Yeah, you can probably tell from from that long list that that I'm a, a Salesforce old timer.、Um, I actually first learned about Salesforce、uh, back in 2001. I was working in IT at a software company, a small software company in the East Bay in the Bay Area, and I was tasked tasked with finding a new CRM tool to replace our homegrown one. And so I started started doing the research, and I stumbled upon Salesforce. I hadn't heard of it before,、um, and I, I got a free demo org, and I logged in, and I was really amazed at how I was able to make changes to it and start setting it up and configure it. Without any coding or programming at all, it was very easy to use. So,、mm-hmm. um, you know, at some point, I, I collected all my research and I made the recommendation to management: this is the tool we should use. We can be up and running quickly.、Um, it's not going to take outside consultants or anything like that.、Um, and that's what I wanted us to use.、Mm-hmm. And management <laughs> decided that I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh really? Yeah, they decided to go another way.、Uh, went with a much Maybe more. Maybe the cloud was too new at the time.、Uh, yeah, cloud was new. I mean, it's two thousand one, so so cloud was new. They also were really concerned about CTI functionality, and at the time, CTI functionality was somewhat weak. You had to use like a third party product.、Um, okay. And so they decided to go another way with something much more costly and、uh, would take a lot longer, and it ended up being a nightmare of a project. So.、Okay. I- I decided it was probably time for me to look for、uh, you know a new employer who might listen to me more, and、mm-hmm. I I ended up getting a job at Salesforce. So、okay. that yeah, so、uh, 
I didn't really know you worked in Salesforce. I worked at Salesforce from 2002 through 2005. Um, okay. So it was a long time ago. Uh, there were f- very few employees when I started. I think, uh, mm. you know, there were, there were fewer than 300 employees when I started. We were all based mm. in San Francisco. No, no one outside of San Francisco. We were at the, the Landmark Building, which is at the end of Market Street in San Francisco. And okay. uh, beautiful view of, of the Bay. Um, it was a great culture. It still is, obviously. Um, mm. And uh, I'm still friends with a lot of people that we worked with back then. Okay. Wow, uh-huh. excellent experience. So it's yeah. been 19 years for you on the journey. Yeah, yeah, it's been a very long journey. Um, I've had a lot of different roles, um, you know, over, over the years. And, uh, you know, I, I like to say I still work for Salesforce. I just have a different boss. Mm. That's, so. that's a wonderful journey. Yeah. Thanks for sharing us. So I hope I can have more years to come in the ecosystem. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. Well, after all this time, I still learn something new almost every day. Yeah. Um, so, so it's an exciting it's an exciting ecosystem to work in. Yeah, I even saw in Twitter you are still posting. Uh, you have done some new badges over there. Yeah. Whenever, like, like whenever yesterday. I have spare time, whenever I have spare time, I get on Trailhead and I, I do some badges. And like I said, I still learn new things. Um, you know, the, the platform is so big at this point. I don't think any any one person can master all of it. So yeah, um, now, nowadays, I tend to focus more on like R&D, which means that I'm playing a lot with Apex and integrations and, and lightning web components. Um, but that, that means I don't get to spend as much time creating reports or playing with Process Builder. And so, you know, trail, Trailhead is how I learn about some of those features that come out. Great. Hmm. So today, I wanted you to join me to share some uh, Lightning Web Component-related skills. So because in the past, we had one episode is a solid principle. Mm-hmm. That's more on the object-oriented uh, backend code, Apex-related. But it seems for the front-end, the Lightning Web Component especially, is that we also need to think to how to reusable, right, the code, how to make sure we have followed the, the dry principle, this and that. So what's your experience creating the web components and the reusable, these things? Yeah, um, there definitely are differences um, between like backend logic um, and our server-side code um, and uh, components. Although now that we're um, soon going to be able to, to be able to, to call cloud functions, um, I think that there might be some convergence there too. But yeah, for, specifically for for Lightning Web Components and, and web components that are focusing more on the UI experience, um, it's all about reusability and extensibility. Um, you know, typically when I when I start working on something, I'm I'm, I'm doing a lot of figuring out, a lot of trial and error, and um, someone who is a planner and a preparer will try to reuse that. You don't want to start from scratch every time you have a new project. You really want to try to perfect something so that you can use it over and over again, like a util class, if we're trying to do it like a server-side analogy. Um, and so that's what components is really about. You know, I I like refactoring code. It's, it's fun to look at some messy code and say, okay, well, let me clean this up. You know, I'm going to... Oh, I see. Your shelf code or somebody else code. Uh, both, both actually. So, so okay. um, it's it's a it's a fun challenge to try to make things more efficient and optimize things. Um, mm. You know, uh, you know, you can you can 
do it to the point where it's kind of silly, you know, but uh, I really like seeing, you know, starting with a hundred lines of code, let's say, and being able to look at it and say, okay, well, what can I do to make this, you know, less code? What can I do to make it? And, you know, efficient and less code aren't necessarily the same thing. But, you know, when I see, oh, well, we're doing four, two for loops and we don't really need to do two for loops, I can do both sets of logic in one for loop. And so, I, you know, I condense the code and fewer script statements and, you know, things like that. So, it's, it's nice to be able to say, oh, I, I started with 100 lines and I got it down to 70, you know, and, and mm. it's, it's easier to read now. It's cleaner. You know, you can understand what's going on in the code. I like that experience of taking messy code and cleaning it. Um, for sure, when it's somebody else's, sometimes I'd rather just start from scratch. Yes. But, um, <laughs> but when, it, when, it's, when it's decent code to begin with, it's nice to be able to improve upon it. And I, even upon my mm. own code, I'll, I'll look at code that I wrote, you know, years ago, or maybe even only a couple months ago. I'll say, oh, you know, I, since, since then, I've learned something. And so I'm going to improve it. Um, and so I feel like that concept is what components are really all about. It's about taking something you built and improving it to the point that it's like a, a masterpiece. You're like, oh, okay, this now can be reused over and over. I can inject some variables to make it behave slightly differently so that I don't have to have almost the exact same code two places. Mm, it's like a boiler plate code that you can reuse by yourself at least. Yeah, yeah. And it really makes starting a new project go a lot faster, um, especially, especially since, you know, right now the framework we're using is Lightning Web Components. And it, it's well documented, you know, that, that Salesforce is great at providing documentation, but there still are some things that you have to figure out. There might be an example. example. Yeah. So, so they might give an example. Um, for instance, there's an example when you talk about like the lightning data table component. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they have the example, here's how to create a table in LWC. And that's great. But often I say, well, you know, the first column of the table, we're, we're doing, let's say a table of users. So that first column, we want it to be a little avatar, a little icon of the person. Well, there's another lightning component that lets us do that. There's a you know, lightning component that lets us do an avatar, but there's no example of using the avatar in the table. And so, so you need to figure it out by yourself, combine yes. the two features into one. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot harder than it should be to do. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So, you know, so it's one of those things where Often what we'll do is like, ah, oh, I don't have time to figure this out. I'll just do it the hard way. I'll use HTML and, and the SLDS styling to just create my own table. And although that's an acceptable way of doing it, the problem is the next time that you go to do it a couple months later, some things may have changed now. You know, there may be new enhancements to the lightning data table. And now you don't have those enhancements in your code. So now you have to basically start over. Or you can, you know, try to augment your old code, but but either way, you start to have these like forks and branches in your code base, your personal code base, and that's a problem. It means you're you're doing a lot of extra work each time. Um, and so, ideally, you you sit down, you spend the the amount of time needed to build out the component the right way, which is extending the LWC component, um, and then. As new requirements come and as new features come out, you can just keep adding to that one code base instead of having different branches all over the place. Mm. I understand what you said. Just sometimes I need to convince myself to spend extra time to dig into that. 
and there's no guarantee I will find the solution. Maybe I'll come back and use the alternatives again. Um, yeah, I think that's a million dollar question to myself as well. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. We I definitely so like I said, I, I spend a lot of time on R and D now um, because I'm in a role where I don't have to work on on project work every day, and so a lot of the things I do is is trying to figure out is something possible. And then once I solve the, the, the problem, hopefully, then I can share it with mm-hmm. our team. Um, you know, an, an, an analogy that, that might work for, for some listeners, um, especially now with the pandemic, is, is baking. You know, so we're all spending a lot of time in our kitchens now. And mm-hmm. uh, I like to bake bread, um, but I, I don't necessarily have the, the recipe memorized. So I always have to look for the recipe and figure out, is this the recipe I used last time? And then in the recipe, it says, you know, use four cups of flour. So, we're, you know, and so four cups. So I have to scoop. I only have a one cup scoop, though. So I have to scoop mm-hmm. four cups each time. And then I have to do the sugar and I have to do the yeast and the salt and everything. So I don't bake bread every day. And I'm definitely not making multiple loaves of bread a day. Um, but if I was baking bread every day, if this was really what I do, you know, and I want to optimize the baking, it would make sense for me to go and either buy or make a four cup scoop and I would write on it flour and I'd have another scoop for the exact right amount of sugar and the exact right, a scoop for the exact right amount of salt and yeast and so on and so forth. And I'd keep that all together in one little box. And this is my make bread box. And then mm-hmm. I wouldn't ever have to look at the recipe. I would know I, you know, I can even number the scoops. So I know the order to use them if, if you have to do the ingredients in a certain order, you know, and I would be able to do that bread so much faster than right now, where I'm basically starting from scratch each time. Oh, so you encapsulate all these logics inside that yes. web component, in our case it is. So you yes, don't exactly. look into it again. Okay. Yeah, so that concept of, of using the avatar in a table, it's a, it's a difficult thing to figure out. I, I, every time I have to do it, I have to go and Google and look through the, the developer boards and try to figure out how to do it and a lot of trial and error. But now mm-hmm. that I have a single component that has it built in and I know the mm-hmm. name of that component, I, there's nothing else I have to do. I just use that component each time. I got it. Does it mean when we do the design of front end, again, Lightning Web component, let's say, we need to have a component-driven mindset all the yeah. time? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, in the past, when we would scope out a screen for, for a prospect or a client, we would start mm-hmm. thinking about, okay, well, you have four buttons and you have 10 input fields. And when you click something, uh, there's a modal or a light box. And we would really be thinking about every possible interaction and, and the permutation of the order you could do it in. You know, it, it, the, the level of effort was a lot harder for, let's say, like creating a, a big visual force page. Um, than it is mm. with a component. With a component, I say, well, you have buttons. Check. Just the concept of buttons. We're good there. We already have buttons. You, mm-hmm. have, you, have, the, you have input fields. No problem. We, we know how to do input fields. You have modals or light boxes. Fine. That's, that's three things. Like, yes, obviously, if you have a lot of them, we're going to you know, increase the scope a little, but we're not going to write three separate types of buttons. We're not going to write three separate types of input fields and three separate types of modals, it's, it's one type. We're just going to be passing in the different variables. Mm-hmm. So it's one level up, abstracted level. In your mind, you need to group them together. What are the similar components? What are the similar functionalities? Maybe one 
component can serve all these similar functionalities. Right. So instead of scoping mm-hmm. out, let's say the first screen has you know first name and last name, and the second mm-hmm. screen has phone and email. In the past, we'd scope that as two screens. We'd say, "Oh, well, you got you have two screens. We have to you know write code and CSS and some type of logic to get those two screens to work." Um, although we still have to make them work. Now I see it's just a screen, and it's going to have a list of inputs that's a variable, and so it doesn't really matter how many of those you have. Um, you know, it's kind of like data migration when when we migrate data. I, you know, most clients, I tell them, look, it doesn't really matter if you if you're asking us to load a hundred accounts or ten thousand accounts. It's it's one click of the button to do the load. You know, and so it's a similar concept. Now, if you if you say you have a hundred tables, that's different. But but you know, so each row, each record is essentially the same uh, type of component. It doesn't really matter how many of them you have. So we don't we don't really worry about the the quantity of the components. It's just you, you have one of those types categories. of components. Yeah, the categories of okay. the types. Yeah. Okay. So if we need to create web components or reusable web component, I assume we need to think about the inputs. What kind of data this this reusable web component can accept? So in Lightning Web Component, how do we do that? What yeah. are those inputs? So uh, the built-in ones will have... Uh, some some properties that or attributes that we can set. So on data table, okay. you can say you know hide the checkbox column all the way in the left. You know don't show uh, the uh, little sort icon. You know there, there's some attributes that you can set these these little uh, variables that adjust the look and feel and sometimes the performance. Um, and so mm-hmm. we do the same thing on the, the components that we build. We we expose these little properties and we usually use the uh, at API. Uh, annotation before the variable, mm-hmm. which basically exposes it to the outside of that Lightning Web component. Um, and, you know, you can use a Lightning Web component within another Lightning Web component. Um, mm-hmm. You can also, though, make a Lightning Web component accessible to the Lightning Page Builder, which on the left-hand side has a, a little dialog box, a little pick, a chooser of components mm-hmm. that are in, in your org. And it'll list standard components as well as your custom components, uh, including those that are installed from the App Exchange. Um, and so, any of the the properties that we expose, you can then populate. You know, point and click, just type in when you drag it to the page. You can say, you know, make the button blue, make the button red, and uh, that way, that way, you can have some control over of the variables without having to write code. Um, but okay. often, often we'll also just wrap a lightning web component in another lightning web component. And so if the, if the color, if we're, if we're doing a simple example, we're talking about the color, if the color is going to de- depend on the user. So Matt, I'm Matt. I like orange. She, you mm-hmm. like blue. Um, and we, we want to do a query and query your user to figure out what your favorite color is. That query would happen in the outer component. It would get the, the, the result we're looking for and then pass it into the inner component using that a- at API property. Um, and so that's, that's another way that we can kind of extend functionality without having to have two separate versions of one component. We can say, okay, this component makes buttons perfectly, but it doesn't have any logic built in to figure out your favorite color. So we're going to create another component around it that figures out the favorite color and then uses the button component. 
you just mentioned if we have uh, the parent component with the child component, maybe the child component is really tailored to do uh, one simple thing really well, and then you just let it handle what it's supposed to do. Yeah. So, I mean, you you can easily get out of hand. And for instance, if we're talking about uh, inputs, let's say, so you know, an, an input can be text, it can be date, but it could also be something more unique, like a radio button or check boxes or you know, some type of slider. Um, it's tempting to say, well, I just want a component that does all types of inputs and I'll pass into it the type. That's very tempting. But what will probably happen if you did that is your, your code inside that component will keep growing to support all these different types. And then the, the result is it's kind of messy and you have these like one-off use cases that really aren't applicable. So what I would recommend instead is have a really good component for text, a really good component for date, and so on and so forth, slider, all the different, you know, different use cases. And then if you want your universal component where you can just say input type equals slider, make another one that will invoke the other specific ones rather than overflowing that one with all these different possibilities. It reminded me this lightning input, uh, the by default built-in ones. I think that has a type. It accepts almost all the types. Am I right? Yeah. So, so the ones that are available inside Salesforce, you can do. Mm. Yes. But like I said, sliders and, and other uh, types of interactions that occur outside of Salesforce, you may want to also be able to support. And so then mm. you, you would want to extend it. I see. Okay. Yeah. So you just mentioned that the at API is the one type of input we can pass into the, let's say, a child component. And another one is it to this uh, target config. When you create a Lightning Web component, there is this associated XML file. Right. Then you can add actual properties of this web component into this target config. Right. So the, the target config on the XML is all about exposing it to the Salesforce UI for like a Salesforce admin. And so that's where when you're creating a lightning page using the, the, the UI, you'll be able to then drag that component onto your page and set the properties that okay. you want to expose. Um, hmm. They still have to exist in, in your JavaScript. So they still are going to be a, a property that, you know, could hmm. have been set a different way. But this makes it so it's an admin-friendly component. Um, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of these types of properties because, um, you know, I tend to write a lot of code, but um, not everyone who's going to, you know, use a component is going to be, you know, comfortable writing code. And so this makes it uh, an admin functionality that you don't even need to know what the code does. All you need to know is here is my input. It looks just like any other Salesforce input. And I can... Type in the color blue, or maybe there's a drop down, um, you know, or checkbox, that type of stuff. And so it makes it so easy to then go and use that component. Um, you can have a little help bubble, an, a pretty label. Um, it, it looks like it's part of Salesforce. It actually, you know, you can't tell the difference between a custom component and a standard component. So it's, it's, it's the nice polish on the component that, that makes it more of a product than some code that I was playing around with. I got it. 
I understand we can also use the PubSub model and even use the JavaScript, uh, the default, um, was it event listener, mm-hmm. that kind of things to uh, make the web components communicate one with another. Yeah, I think I think this is one of the hardest parts about um, components um, is okay. is getting them to communicate with each other um, the right way. You know, the, the UI you you can you can perfect on your own. You know, it stands standalone, and even logic within a single component is pretty easy. But the communication is is definitely harder. Um, and so often when you're uh, writing a component. And then you realize, oh, I need it to communicate with another one. You're going to have to refactor that so that it will pass an event um, and the right data in that event. Um, but we do have a couple different mechanisms that are available to us. Um, the simplest would be, like I mentioned earlier, we can uh, use a component within another component. So if my outer component does the logic to figure out your favorite color, I'm going to pass in to the inner component that color. Um, and that's the simplest way to do it. Um, and we can interact back and forth if needed. Um, but you can also use, use PubSub, with, like you mentioned. And so this is a, another component. It's pre-built. Um, it's available for free to all of us. It's on GitHub. And the idea here is it's a, a series of functions that basically registers a listener for a specific type of event. And then when that event is passed, it says, oh, I, I'm ready for this. I was waiting for it. And I know what to do with it. You know, so I'm looking for the, the, the text that you were passing me. And then at that point, your logic takes over, you know? And so okay. if we were to extend the color example, let's say I, we don't, we can't do a query for your favorite color because you haven't entered it already. We could have one component that has a drop down with colors. And when you select your favorite color, then the other component is waiting for that event to be sent saying, she has selected his favorite color. It's blue. And now the button will render in blue. Oh. And they can talk and they can talk both ways. And, and, and then when the button is clicked, we could send an event saying, you know, the button has been clicked and this is the name of the button that was clicked. And then our logic on the other side is sitting there waiting for button click. And when the name is passed, mm-hmm. oh, well, if this is the name of the button, I'm going to do, you know, this, this part of my code. Um, okay. So we use that a lot. Um, what you, what you, what you don't want to do is use a component framework to build a huge page as if it was just normal non-component framework. And that's, that can be, that can be tempting, but that, that defeats the purpose. You're, you're, you're using a tool not at its best. So for instance, uh, I, 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 um, I work around the house a lot. And so I have different tools. I have a hammer, I have a wrench. I have, you know, pliers mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Sometimes when, you know, I, I, I'm in a rush and I just don't feel like going to the garage, I might hit stuff with my wrench because it's heavy and it's made out of metal. Yeah. But that's not the right tool to use. I'm going to probably dent something. I'm not going to do a, a good job of hammering a nail with a wrench. But if that's the t- that tool I had on me, I, I, again, I might do it because I'm in a rush. It's not a good idea. You're not going to do a good job and you'll probably run into some weird issues because you use the wrench. You may have, well, you're you're probably not going to damage your your sales force, but um, you know, the result won't be the same as if you use an appropriate tool. So yeah. So, so you really want to try to use components for, for what they're for, which is these discrete units of code that are specific um, and have some ability to be extended or customized slightly. 
I got it. Uh, in the past, I also had the chat with Chris Peterson about Apex. He said a lot of customers using Apex to parse process CSV files. He said the、uh, Apex is not、uh, tailored for that. You can do it, but it's a lot of slower and、uh, less performing. But that's only the chance you get, only the tool you have on the platform. But it, as the evergreen platform comes in, then maybe we, you can use your Ruby, you can use Java off-platform to do the, those things that are more suitable for for those languages. Uh, I, I listened to that 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 podcast. Oh,、uh, really?、Okay. Yeah, and I, and and specifically CSV parsing is something I'm very familiar with.、Um, okay. We, we we've been doing it for years, and and yes, on Apex it was very difficult.、Um, there was、mm. some functionality that was published a long time ago、uh, that was like a batch process、um, to parse CSV. I believe it was actually a, a GitHub repo owned by Financial Force、um, that let you parse CSVs. But、um, it still was so difficult to do with Apex.、Um, but now we can actually do it. So, so we can parse CSVs with with LWC、um, and with Aura components. We we can parse it because there's JavaScript libraries that already do that,、um, and so we're able to do that. But it, it because you know Aura and and LWC are client frameworks. It does require the user to be there and either you know click the button or at least have the screen up and open so that、mm. it can get parsed. But yes, with ever with Evergreen, we should be able to to have it run behind the scenes without the user necessarily having to invoke it, and so that's super exciting. Yeah, indeed. And I know Salesforce has this new beta feature called the new Lightning Message Service. Is it so? Yeah. Do you know、so、what that is about? Yeah, so that's exciting too. So、um, I mentioned so PubSub is really it's a component. Um, it's not. It's not really in the platform. It's something that we're creating. And so every time you want to use PubSub, if you don't already have that Lightning component, you're going to have to go and create the component.、Um, and so, and there's limitations in terms of、um, what components can speak to each other. So again, LWC is 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 a client side framework. So that means that the the user has to be there and they have to be on that screen and everything that's interacting with each other. Has to be on that screen as well. So、um, Salesforce recognized this area that they could, you know, improve on and how it would help a lot. And so that's what this new service is going to be. It's going to be baked into the platform and allow us to have communication, even if the user isn't necessarily open on the component at that moment. So you mean it comes to replace the PubSub, or is it、oh, yeah. just a? Okay. You, I mean, I'm sure there will still be use cases for everything,、um, but this is this is more like a, a event management functionality built into the platform,、um, and、mm. so you'll be able to, to do some really neat things.、Um, you know, what we do a lot now is we have util trays in in the Lightning experience. You can have that little utility tray at the bottom, and that allows us to kind of always have a component on. Um, and so, you know, we we kind of cheat and do stuff like that, where that component could be like a polar, and you know,、mm. do a do a query every minute to see if something has changed in the database. But the messaging service will allow us to to stop doing those inefficient things and start kind of stop doing those little workarounds and have something that、mm-hmm. that's built into the platform. So it's so it's exciting. That's cool. Because、uh, what I understand is that you always need to create this、uh, new metadata. In advance to make sure it conveys the message, right? It's not like a 
Lightning Web Component, you just write everything in the browser. You have to touch the setup to create that new metadata. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, the, you know, and now that'll be part of the platform, um, that also means that there'll be a, you know, an, an, a, a declarative functionality around it too. So similar okay. to, uh, I don't know if, if, if you're familiar with the streaming API um, or the, mm-hmm. yeah. So with the streaming API, you, you, there is some declarative aspect to it. You have to go into setup and you have to click a button and say, okay, well, I, th- this is what I, you know, my query is going to be and, and things like that. So there'll be a little, mm-hmm. little aspect to that too for this. Um, but I, but that's a good thing because that means that an admin can make a change without having to contact a developer. Um, okay. You know, and uh, from a deployment perspective, although we should still always follow our process, it's always mm-hmm. nice when we can make changes to Salesforce without having to deploy, um, especially in, especially in an emergency. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do, but in an emergency, and there and you know there have been a lot of things that happen over the years where it's like, oh, you know, this is public facing, we got to fix this or you know, something mm. has happened in the, in the world. Um, yeah. you know, uh, it's nice to be able to make changes using declarative tools sometimes. I get it. So I understand we do need to create this reusable web components. Um, does it mean we should start creating our own library of these components or even as a company, we should start to build our own repos. Yeah. So, as a company, yes, I, I, we do that. We have internally, we have our, our own private repo with the components that we use. And mm-hmm. every time we reuse one of those components, we often will improve upon it. Like I mentioned, I, I like refactoring code. And so mm-hmm. um, if a new requirement has come up since the last time we worked on this component, so for instance, let's just use the button example again, you know, we, we can change the color but we have a client who really wants rounded buttons. They want it more of a, more of a, a fab than a button look. You know, we, we could create a whole new component and have two separate concepts there, or we could add one additional property to our existing button component that allows for the edges to be rounded a little. And so we'll, we'll someone, one of our developers will, will, you know, do a, a pull request, we'll make a change to the code, do a pull request, and now our library has been updated so that everyone else can take advantage of it too. Um, so I definitely recommend creating your own library. I don't know if I would say that every developer should have their own. You know, I, I think one of the advantages of, you know, sites like GitHub is that, you know, and, and open source software in general is that it allows us to collaborate beyond our, you know, personal borders, whether that's an employer or country or whatever. Um, but mm-hmm. we're able to then collaborate, you know, with a larger group of people and diversity in general leads to, to better results. You know, you, you don't yeah. want everyone to think the same way. You, you won't see the possibilities. You won't see solutions that, that you could have arrived at. So mm-hmm. it, it probably shouldn't be a, a personal repo. Um, if you are going to create a personal one because no one has built the component that you've ever, you know, needed, um, I would say try to publish it publicly and share it and, that way, other people could benefit and contribute, but that's something that each person has to decide. Do you see in App Exchange there is a market for us to sell this kind of reusable web component? Um, so uh, components on the App Exchange have their own separate area. Um, there's apps and there are components, and there's way more more apps than there are components. 
um, you know, because there's, there's apps for for any kind of purpose you want. Plus, the concept of an app has been around a lot longer than components. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if you built an amazing component, yes, I think it could be sold. Um, you may want to list it as an app because people tend to go to the apps part of the, the app exchange more often than the component. Um, but going back to what we were discussing earlier about parsing spreadsheets, um, mm-hmm. we ha- we have a component that allows you to drag a spreadsheet onto the component and it parses it and displays it in Salesforce. And then you can click a button to upload it or do an insert or, or upsert of the data. It's a component. I mean, there, there's code behind it, but it really is just a component. There's not too much else to it. And so that I think that is something that's that's complex enough that you could sell it as a component. Um, so there, there is an opportunity there. Um, but conceptually, the idea of a component are usually these these small units. And so yeah. th- they're often not something that you would sell on its own. Um, but if you created a library of components that look great. So for instance, um, uh, Google has their material design look and feel. Hmm. And we've created mm-hmm. a, a lot of, of uh, components that look like Google's material design. So a fab, a oh, button, thanks. an input. You know, if you had a suite of components, you could sell that. Um, I, I don't think you'd make a whole business and live off of it. Because <laughs> I, I was wondering if we create the component because it's the front end. It's mostly JavaScript and CSS. Uh, is the IP protected? You know, uh, people download it. They get to see everything, right? Yeah, th- I actually had this conversation earlier this week with with uh, one of our developers. Uh, okay. we're, we're we're working on uh, a new component that we built that we're calling an app. Um, again, for that same reason, you know, people buy apps. People don't really buy components. You you use components, especially since you know developers. You know, if there's a free version, you'll you'll use the free version until you have to pay. Um, and so, if there's a free component, they're going to use it. But so so we have we have an app. Um, and it's, it's mainly JavaScript, you know, there's some apex to, to do some querying of settings and, and, uh, getting data out of the database, but it's mainly JavaScript. And so, yeah, we have a concern that, that, uh, a well-qualified developer could look at our JavaScript and say, well, I see what they did. I'm going to do it myself, you know, and I don't need to pay for your app. Um, so that's one of the reasons why we're giving the app away for free. <laughs> okay. You know, because that that way it's not worth, you know, trying to re- reverse engineer our code. But but the other thing is, I mean, there's always going to be the type of people who will say, well, I can do that for myself, so I don't need to pay for it. Mm. And, and the same is true for Salesforce as a whole. You know, I can build my own CRM tool to keep track of my customers and yeah. my sales. So I'm not going to pay Salesforce. But then I have to do all the work and the maintenance and the server is not going to be the same quality and I don't have any support team and so on and so forth. So I think by virtue of marketing to Salesforce customers to begin with, you're marketing to people who see value in things that are pre-built, even if they could do it themselves. I, I get it. Um, one more thing before I let you go is that uh, we focused on the Lightning Web component. How about the Aura and the... Uh, the old uh, yeah. Visual Force pages, right? They also have kind of this component concept. Are they similar? So conceptually, yes, they are similar. So going back to that idea of 
creating a small unit of code that works really well and can you know have a couple of variables to, to adjust them. They are similar in that sense. And that's why the word component is, is in them all. Um, Visual Force components had some issues with the, the way that the order of operations in which the page uh, is executed or loaded that made it really difficult to work with. Um, you know, so, that, so Visual Force components was not widely adopted for that reason. Um, they, worked, they worked great if you just wanted to display some text or some color, but um, having interactive functionality and trying to use it that way often caused problems because they didn't behave exactly the way a Visual Force page would. And so then you, you, you couldn't always get it to do what you wanted. It was frustrating. So th- those weren't widely adopted. Um, Aura was, was revolutionary when it came out. Um, you know, we went from only server-side rendering and code to client-side. Um, but it was very proprietary and still is very proprietary. Um, and so uh, it was difficult for uh, JavaScript developers who are familiar with components but maybe not as familiar with the platform to adopt. Um, okay. But there are still some things that you can do in Aura that you can't do in LWC. Um, and, and sometimes you actually have to use all three. So if you want to use uh, a Lightning Web component inside a Visual Force page, you're going to wrap it inside an Aura component because that's, that's how we have to do it currently. Hopefully that'll be fixed. And so it's important in general, if you're a developer on, on the Salesforce platform, that you're familiar with all of the tools that are available, because there, there may be a day that comes where you have to use all of them to accomplish your goal. Thanks, Matt. That's all. So before I let you go, do you have something you want to share with us? Um, yeah, I would. A shameless plug, um, if it's okay. No, no problem. Yeah. yeah. So I mentioned uh, how we have a, a new app um, that we published to the mm-hmm. App Exchange. It's called Mambo Merge. And it's a, mail, it's a mail merge tool that allows you to generate beautiful Word documents from Salesforce. It's all native into, in the platform using, using LWC. Super easy. It, could, it couldn't be uh, any easier, faster, or more secure. So uh, check it out. Yeah, I will put the link to our show notes so that I'll listen and to check. Great. So how people can find you? You have Twitter, you have LinkedIn. Yes. So I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, my handle is pretty much always the one Matt Kaufman, and it's the number one, not the word one. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I try to respond as quickly as possible. Uh, so it, and I'm happy to help out. People ask questions all the time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about the platform. So if you want to talk, I'm always available. Excellent. Yeah, I will put that contact information on the notes as well. Thanks, Matt. It's really good chatting with you here. Thanks. It was great chatting with you too.